0: podcast volume 76 thank you for joining us today thanks for downloading streaming whichever way you consume podcasts. i'm appreciative of it i hope you get something out of it we have a fun episode but before that let's do a little housekeeping this is the bodega border crew podcast you can find us on instagram at bodega border crew you could also find us on the traditional old web uh bodega border crew.com we have a store we have merch we have links to things how to's, recaps of our Vans channel 66 show, that kind of thing. Also, make sure to check out this episode full description on your iTunes player or player of choice for things that we're talking about, track listings, links, ways to donate and help other people, that sort of thing. I know it's been a while since the last episode, and in the last episode I said the same thing. I'm gonna be putting this out as I see fit. I don't have a timeline. Right now my biggest priority is doing the Vans Channel 66 show, which is a monthly show. Next episode will be December 22nd, so please tune in for that. But as I see fit, I kinda do this show uh, based on interviews I get and who I get to speak to. Obviously with COVID it's been a little bit difficult to get people to sit down. So this episode's interview, Uh, was done via Zoom, uh, with none other than the CEO of Surfrider Foundation, Mr. Chad Nelson. Uh, We also talk about ways to give during this holiday season and things that you can do throughout the year to help your local community, extended community, your family, and stuff like that. And lastly, we wrap up this little December present with uh, some short takes. The first thing is a short take video uh, from uh, Cole Walton called uh, Tea Party. Uh, We also have Of Salt and Dust featuring J.J. Wessels. And lastly, we have Kick Rocks from the Silent Rock TV crew. All good things, things you should check out. But yeah, I hope you guys have been having fun out there. I hope you guys have been catching some waves. I know it's been a little sporadic here and there. This tide in the mornings has really killed it. Uh, today's another example where I waited for the tide to drop and by the time it drops it's, there's nothing happening. So hopefully that tide shift starts moving a little bit more. I think in the next uh, two weeks it will be better. I think the week before Christmas we should have a good steady set of winter waves and kind of what we live for here in Southern California. Less crowds, colder water, sharper waves, that kind of thing. But I want to get into this episode. As you can tell from the music in the background, this is not the usual thing you come to expect from us. Uh, But a lot of people think that hip hop is primarily the music that I listen to. It's probably about 10% of the genre specific stuff I listen to. I have a pretty wide range of stuff I listen to. And I grew up as kind of a, a cross between a punk rock, indie rock, hip-hop kid. You know, that was kind of just the nature of growing up in New York and in the skateboarding scene. I think there's so many people like us uh, out there that it's we're very genre fluid. And to that extent, I have grew up listening to a lot of stuff, especially in my 20s being in bands. I really went out there and tried to find music that was different and interesting and not as easy to come by as I was used to. So one of the bands I stumbled on I would say in probably their early 90s was Massive Attack and Massive Attack is a band that a lot of people when I speak to out here don't even know who they are, never even heard of them and which is so surprising to me because the legacy that they created with their sound for in trip hop is unbelievable and has been sampled, redone, used by so many people. So I went down a wormhole recently just listening to all their old singles, all the old stuff, some of the newer stuff, and it got me thinking that I'd love to just do an episode where all I do is play their music. So for this episode, all I'm doing is playing massive attack tracks. Now this isn't like a best of, this isn't like, you know, here's a who's who list of what you should listen to, but this is kind of my list. This is the stuff that I really respond to and the stuff that really turns me on. So without further ado, let's get into some beats. Let's get into some fun. And I'll check in with you guys in a little bit with the interview. Peace. Welcome back to the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 76. Hope you guys have been enjoying the tracks. Maybe it's something you've heard before. Maybe it's something new. I hope I've exposed you to some new stuff, just like skate videos used to expose me to new music I never heard of. But let's get to some housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com. We have merch. We have t-shirts. We have fins. We have some new stuff. You should always check it out. Um, People are asking us how to support us. I'm not going to ask for a Patreon account or GoFundMe. That's how you can support us. Buy some t-shirts. Also, make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player for track listings and things that we're talking about. This episode, we had the privilege of speaking to the CEO of the Surfrider Foundation, Mr. Chad Nelson. Obviously, if you're not familiar with the Surfrider Foundation, it goes beyond surfing. They are protecting our coastal waterways, they are protecting our wetlands, they are trying to do the most they can uh, for our environment, both through grassroots movements of cleanups and things like that, but also influencing the legislature and making sure that things are happening in our communities that benefit us. So without further ado, here's the interview, hope you guys dig it. Where are you from?
1: Chad Nelson, I'm from Laguna Beach, California.
0: Okay, so you grew up on the water, basically.
1: Yeah, I did. I, well, it's funny. I, uh, I'm now a townie.
0: So okay. I, you know,
1: of, my, uh, of my 50 years, uh, I've spent 40 of them in, in Laguna Beach. Okay. So I, gr- I grew up here, uh, beach kid, learned to surf, uh, was a lifeguard. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of, I uh, didn't really realize how, just how lucky I was to grow up in such a cool place. Right. Uh, on the ocean, you know, I could walk from my house to the beach, Um, and, uh you know, went, went off to college for, and did bounce around chasing jobs for a while, and then came back to Laguna when I got my Surfrider gig, which was 20 years ago now.
0: Oh, so how did, what was your first gig with Surfrider?
1: Uh, well, it's crazy, I, I'm like a mailroom to the CEO kind of story. I, <laughs> I, was, a, I was a grad student intern uh for Surfrider in 1995 so like a million years ago okay um and uh finished grad school got a job up in oregon wanted to work for surf and then i got an opportunity to, to get a job in 1998 doing like a beach mapping project oh cool yep it's funny we're mapping beaches for oil tar balls right now so it's kind of come oh, full yeah.
0: circle <laughs> which we
1: can t- we'll talk about but
0: yeah. And so you've been with the organization for 20 years. When were you, uh, when did you become CEO of the organization?
1: I I became CEO about
0: seven years ago. Okay. And since that time, what's the biggest difference you've seen from, I mean, you've been with the organization for 20 years, but being CEO, what, what are the biggest changes you've seen from seven years ago to now with Surfrider Foundation?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I, I say that, uh, in my previous job, I used to spend the money. (laughs) <laughs> and now, now I have to make the money.
2: <laughs>
0: no, that's true.
2: It, it,
1: it's, it's a lot harder to make it than to spend it. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, it's actually been, we've been on quite a, a role at Surfighter over the last five years, I would say, uh, growing the capacity and reach and impact uh, of the organization, which, you know, I'm really proud of. And, um, that's good because we need it <laughs> right uh, you know our oceans are getting hammered by a bunch of different issues in our coastlines and so it's really important and i think you know some of that success is a, a testament to surf rider and you know the work we've done and, and some of that's because society and culture has also like come our way right so you know, issues like plastic pollution and climate change have you know kind of on the in on the top of people's minds now where maybe they used to be in the distance and you know, those are important issues that we're sort of responding to. And so as a result of that, uh, I feel like, you know, more members, more volunteers, uh, more f- more funding, more interest in engagement, more more involvement from the surf industry, which has been awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, because I, w- I would say like even, you know, in, in the mainstream zeitgeist, like you did not really hear about rising ocean levels and plastic pollution, like you mentioned, up until maybe like really five years ago, where it really started being put in people's faces. Like before that you would have to be someone who had some sort of interest. Like I knew about it just for, from the activism that my wife and I do. Like I was like, you know, just, we knew about these things, but I think everyday consumers weren't thinking about that when they were making their buying decisions and their waste decisions as well. You know, how much waste they put it out there. Um, yep. So I'm, I'm sure that has helped, probably helped you guys a lot of ways, right? No question um so obviously we're going through a, a pandemic right now what has been your greatest challenge both as ceo and also as an organization during the pandemic
1: yeah i mean uh you know it's it's funny too because i don't know if you have this experience but the pandemics really like screwed up my sense of time i i, I i'm always oh, yeah, like yeah yeah was, was it a year ago was it 18 months ago but you know the before times <laughs> yeah you know when the pandemic first hit in the spring of 2020 Um, like everybody else, it was just this time of incredible uncertainty. So you're, you know, the sky is falling, like what's going to happen to society, the economy and everything else. So, you know, uh, as the leader of an organization, you're trying to make sure you can like survive financially, you know, so, so a lot of it is like, Oh God, what is this going to mean to us as a, as a organization and the ability to support our staff and run the, run the business it is a business at the end of the day. Um, you know, we did a lot of cutting back and trying to be really conservative um, about spending so we could hold on to what we had. Um, the other thing that's interesting, if you think about the work that Surf Fighter does, you know, almost everything we do is in person. Um, beach cleanups is a gathering of people, uh, you know, getting people to do a surf movie night at local theater, gathering of people, expert speaker at the local Patagonia, group of people city council meetings testifying and trying to do advocacy at any level is, you know, a group of people. So it's really a huge shift for us to be like, okay, everything we do involves community and gathering people. Now we need to rethink all of those things. Uh, You know, and a lot of stuff went on hold. We were trying to get our chapters to be doing zoom and uh, you know, kudos to uh, my staff and our volunteer network they're they're so passionate about the issues that you know as we had all adapted to doing what you and I are doing right now right thing, they did too and you know gov- city government state government federal government had to do the same thing and um, figure out how to hold a public hearing on zoom and so that that was like uh, you know we arguably kind of had to reinvent um, a lot of what we did Two other things happened right in the beginning. I thought it was really fascinating. Is, so everybody, like a lot of people got laid off or furloughed. Things mm-hmm. just shut down, restaurants, bars, everything. Um, and we also were working from our homes and that kind of opened up flexibility. And people rushed to the beach. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, it was awesome and crazy like that, that early spring of 2020 and then they then the response was to sh- close beaches right so like in my hometown uh laguna beach for at least six weeks maybe longer the beaches were closed because they're like oh god we, everyone's storming the beach we don't want yeah crowds. yeah
2: i yeah, yeah. was afraid
1: to touch the railing you know it's crazy so we actually spent a lot of time we got ga- we actually we gathered a like expert task force seems like an age ago now and uh public health experts and lawyers and beach act, beach access experts to actually develop some frameworks and plans for cities and counties and states to open beaches again, which we were super helpful in doing. So that was actually kind of a not something we expected, but right. we, felt really, we felt pretty good. It turns out, of course, that being at the beach, surfing, being at the beach is actually one of the best things to do. And while yeah. everybody's losing their minds because of COVID, getting outside is actually really, healthy.
0: Yeah, there's been that shift. I mean, we've noticed that I'm I'm down here by San Juan Capistrano and my local break is Sano and, and, and uh, Doheny and church. And so we've noticed the influx of people and stuff begrudgingly. Some people are upset about it, obviously. <laughs> the, crowd yeah, the lines lying. at Sano are like uh, yeah, never that, before. No, no. Everybody's kind of like, this is insane. But I'm like, what do you expect? You know, there's no people can't go to bars, they can't go to restaurants, they can't go to clubs, they can't congregate these places that they yeah, normally Disneyland,
1: would. Yeah, Disneyland, museums, all yeah. that
0: stuff. I mean, yeah, Disney was shut for like a year, you know, if yeah. not more. And and so uh, if they're doing something, at least they're doing he- something healthy. I think the positive of it for me is that people started developing a relationship with the ocean where they understand that they... Are a vital part to nurturing that. So, you know, they could very easily be people who destroy it, or they could be people that help it. And I think, you know, especially when it comes to Surfrider Foundations and a lot of movements. similar to what you guys are doing i think it's important that it's we could seize upon these people we could basically say like hey you enjoyed going there can you imagine if this is taken away from you because of ecological reasons like that wouldn't be good so why don't you you know i mean the simple thing of like you know uh leave it better than it was be- when you got there you know yep. like like pick up your trash and all that stuff and i have been noticing like because i surf in in these places and i see families that don't surf who've been coming to the beaches and a lot of them you could see there's conscious decisions of like, you know, them throwing their trash out and like with their little kids walking around with plastic bags and being like, Hey, you know, let's pick up trash and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I think there's like, there's like, it's been like, there's more positivity coming out of it. Like people just focus on the crowded beach thing. I'm like, you guys have to look at the, there's a bigger picture here because now people have an invested interest in the beach and the ocean. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, uh,
1: more people caring about the outside, the oceans, and having appreciation for it is definitely gonna be better for the world in the long run.
0: Yeah, of course. And I mean, all these things like, and I think the thing that you mentioned from, from the start, how, you know, And we were talking about like five, ten years ago, people didn't know about like what's going on in the oceans because they didn't. You know, you live in the Midwest, like you're like, how does this affect me? I don't go to the ocean, blah blah blah. And when you see these documentaries coming out, like, hey, this is in our food system, and this is actually doing climate change, then people in the middle of the country are like, wow, like,
3: you know, I should
0: get it. I should get involved. Now, one of the things that I think has been uh really great about your organizations is the fact there's a lot of grassroots activations that happen you have these Mm -hmm. cleanups and stuff like that what are the ones that are the most important to surf rider and that kind of work the best for you as an organization yeah you know we have you
1: know it's a people-powered organization right and so it really is all about volunteers um we have 200 chapters and clubs across the country uh High school and college clubs and and community chapters like South Orange County is the one that you and I are are mm-hmm. in, um, and those are all run by uh, run by volunteers. And so, you know, our sort of philosophy is we want to do activities in the community to show that we care about these places because we do. So we do beach cleanups and water testing, and uh, we have a program called Ocean Friendly Restaurants. We're getting restaurants right. to go plastic free, and. And those are really about finding ways for people to get involved in making their community a better place, which not too surprisingly, a lot of people do because they love these places and they mm-hmm. the beaches and their in their hometowns and want to see them taken care of. Uh, and then we kind of we, the next layer up for us is local advocacy. So, you know, Laguna just about a month ago passed what we call a skip the stuff ordinance, which is no oh. plastic foodware in your takeout unless you ask for it. Oh, that's so pretty cool. That's can what... opt in instead of opt out. And, um, you know, everyone's got that drawer in their house, like yeah. full
0: of... we have it, yeah.
1: Yeah, forks and knives. And you're just like, uh, you know, you, you grab that takeout, which we're all doing also because of COVID. And you're going back to your house, like you have a plate and a fork. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so you know, um, getting that local advocacy, then we scale that up to the state and up to the federal. So it's kind of like, there is no one thing. It's kind of this like pathway from show up and get involved, then like before you know it, you know, you're talking to your congressman in DC making help make big decisions happen. So, uh, you know, that ability to kind of like engage at every level is kind of what's unique
0: yeah and i think that's great about organizations such as yourself because you could wind up someone someone could be stumbling into it like you were saying they go to a restaurant they see your sticker up on there and you're like hey this restaurant participates in this where they're not using plastic not as much plastic waste and then they get interested in it uh you know it's 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 just like why i ask that question is a lot of people feel of uh paralyzed a lot of times by like how do I get involved you know they're very nervous you know like oh am I how much of my time is this going to take and I always try to tell people like look it's something that I heard a coach once say and I thought it was a very valid uh, statement where it's lead from your seat whatever seat you're comfortable engaging in the thing that you're passionate about or that has uh, you've developed empathy for or some sort of emotion do it so even if it's like you said you know, look, don't make sure they don't put the plastic fork and knife in there, like, just tell them every time, like, even if they don't participate in this in this program or, you know, or actually go and like work with legislation and and, and go up to Sacramento or to your city, city hall. Um, so I, I think that's really interesting. Now, speaking of. Legislation and city halls and stuff, what I know you your organization is very active in having certain legislation happen. What is coming up that needs the most help and most involvement from the public when it comes from the legislation side?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a sort of a two-part answer. I'll, I'll okay. talk about a couple of things that are happening and then some stuff that I think is gonna happen that's gonna be really okay. important. Um, so we we are at the federal level, We have a we have a bill called the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. Mm-hmm. This is a federal bill that would address plastic pollution in the ocean kind of from start to finish from uh, production, um, which has a lot of environmental justice impacts. This is where they put the plastic factories all the way to getting rid of a lot of these single use plastics that are we find on the beaches when we do our beach cleanups um, to kind of building a more circular economy and encouraging actually reuse of the material we have instead of throwing it away. Uh, and so if you go to go to our website or you Google break free from Plastic Pollution Act, uh, you can find ways to get involved in that act. We're trying to get our uh, representatives from around the country to to sign on to that. And, uh, you know, that that's a really comprehensive top level way to address plastic pollution. Um, another one's called the Ocean Based Climate Solutions Act. Um, this is a federal bill. Our oceans are kind of the center of climate change. Um, 90% of the excess heat that we've produced has been absorbed by the oceans. Mm-hmm. That's why we keep having these record-setting um, temperatures in, in Southern California, 78-degree water. That's, you know, as a surfer, it's kind of awesome, but it's also worrying because that's uh, that's heat from, uh, from global climate change right. impacting our oceans. Um, and so, and that's causing sea level rise and all sorts of other things. And so this Ocean-Based Climate Solutions Act is talking about protecting coastal ecosystems, protecting beaches and coastal communities from sea level rise. Same thing, you can get involved with our chapters and encourage your legislators. We have toolkits uh, on how to advocate for these bills. So you can learn about them and make a call or visit or or get involved with your local chapter. So those are two big issues that we think are some of the most important. Okay. Uh, we're working on those on the locals and state level also. And so again, the, the chapters are really the, uh, the first step, you know, like and and the easiest step. And kind of as you were saying, um, we need all kinds of skill sets, right? Some people are great at organizing fundraisers. Some people are great at uh, doing design and helping us make posters and invitations or taking photographs. Uh, other people are interested in being science and policy wonks. It's kind of the whole gamut. So if you have a skill set and you care, we probably can use it. <laughs> uh you know, and and you can do as little as you want, as much as you want. That's the beauty of a volunteer organization. Um, the thing that's coming is mm-hmm. uh I there's gonna be a a, a really strong response that's kind of starting to gel around this oil spill. Right. And uh, you know, off the California coast, I think there's three things. One, it's crazy, and you know, most I uh, me included hadn't been paying attention is we're subsidizing those oil companies.
0: Yes, we are, yeah.
1: So, you know, your tax dollars and my tax dollars are mm-hmm. going to pay for these companies who otherwise might not be profitable. So that's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, two, uh, we want to ban any new drilling uh, off our coast. So a permanent ban. Uh, and, you know, we had to fight the previous administration wanted to open California coast to drilling. We, that yeah. shouldn't be a fight. We have to fight anymore. It's just, just no. stop. And then third, there's 27 rigs out there all, you know, right now, which is like the one that just leaked is, you know, and those things are all 40 and 50 years old. They're run down. The companies that run them are, are shady. You know, this Amplify Energy came out of it's got tons of violations. We'll probably go back into bankruptcy. Right. So we need to get rid of those 27 rigs. And uh, so we're talking to uh, state and federal leaders right now to figure out like uh, how to pass some laws to make those things happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So stay tuned. Uh, We'll be pushing out some uh, state and federal regulations to try to end, you know, prevent. Hopefully that'll be the last oil spill in California. That's my goal.
0: Uh, We hope. I mean, the one thing that's been interesting on a, a, uh, I guess, a socio-political side of it is the fact that this is actually an issue that um, across the board, people have been down on board. You know whatever political allegiance they have, and yeah. I think that's kind of interesting seeing that on coastal California where people are like, Okay, enough, like you have like um surf schools who are like basically you know lost money, and restaurants, and tourism, and all this, and like this could have been a hundred times worse. Um, totally. and and it, and it probably will because of your point. You said a lot of these this equipment's 40 50 years old we all know what salt water does to metal and all these things it just corrodes it corrodes it corrodes i think also from a energy uh tapping perspective i think someone i read somewhere and i could be wrong that our domestic oil production basically only like one percent or something comes from like these these like we're not this yeah, is yeah this isn't yeah. This isn't powering pickup trucks. Like, this
1: is no, no, so no, minimal. yeah. What less that you're right. It's, it's less than 1%. It's, it's, yeah, it's less than 1% of sort of the annual production, right? 0.67% or something like that. So it's like almost immeasurable. Uh, I, I heard one of the representatives I went to a hearing on Monday say that uh, those oil rigs supply like. Uh, eight hours of one day's worth of energy for the year for California. So again, nothing.
0: Nothing. You know, and yeah.
1: with the rate that uh, renewable energy, like solar and wind and other things, are happening, that, that, you know, in a year, that would probably already be unnecessary. So we certainly do not need these rigs offshore that we have to. As we think about the you know the future of energy in California, we could get rid of them tomorrow and we could compensate for it.
0: Yeah. And I don't think, and I also, from like the job perspective, I don't think they're the numbers I was seeing the jobs, like people are like, well, what about the jobs there? I'm like, you, they, they do not employ as many people as you possibly think they do. 300
1: jobs. I heard. Yeah. Which is, which uh, you could transfer into clean energy jobs. Well, and uh, more than 300 jobs were impacted in the like two weeks. Yeah. That we had this bill probably thousands of jobs were impacted. So if you, you know, you have to compare those jobs to also the impact that they create and, uh, you know, all the businesses that have suffered as a result.
0: Yeah. And and also, do you, h- how long is it going to take for us to, as the, the public to know scientifically what this has done to our ecosystem? Because Well, you know,
1: it's it's going to, science is slow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, part of that's because it's thorough. Um, so I think it's going to take some time. There was a pretty big, or a comparable spell up in Santa Barbara, the Refugio <laughs> spill, which yeah. was in 2015. And uh, the oil company settled that in 2020. So it took five years to kind of go through the process of investigating what the impacts were, determining what the value or mitigation costs of those impacts were, and then like getting the oil company to pay for it. So, you know, my guess is that, I mean, we're still in the relatively early days, but, you know, it'll probably take a couple of years to really understand kind of what that, impacts were look were like and then probably take another couple years to figure out what the oil company it's also this is going to be complicated by it's really hard to figure out amplify energy definitely had some responsibility for this but yeah it might have been some ship that broke the pipe and 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 so figuring out sort of who's at fault is gonna be less than straightforward than other cases
0: yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's not it's not very like cut and dry um, to figure this yeah. out. I, I mean, for me, the you know, I read an article this weekend in uh, the L.A. Times in the food section where they were talking about the impact it's had on the seafood industry and the fact that people don't realize it. A lot of these restaurants, you know, that this is the thing that they've like hung their coat on, which is very admirable. And it's very important where it's local seafood, local caught seafood. Yeah, yeah. And, and they don't know when it's going to be safe, you know, and a lot of these places yeah. are like, look, like, a lot of the restaurants are like, hey, I have to supplement this with seafood that I'm importing from the East Coast or like up north in Alaska. Or from
1: Asia even, yep.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing that people have to understand. When we have these localized events happen, it's a very ripple effect that all of a sudden we have to tap into these other economies and food sources. Uh, And we don't know. Like It it, it was, I I mean, not funny, but it was interesting that actually the day before the oil spill happened i was looking into getting my fishing license and i was like oh this is gonna be great like i could catch fish and like my family could eat off of it every once in a while and then it happened i was like i'm not gonna be fishing for anything for like a year or two like to bring home yeah
1: you know? no uh, it's right i mean there's still like a, a fishery closure off the coast that goes out about eight miles so yeah the guys in huntington and uh, or i mean in newport and dana point that go out fishing have to go out eight miles before they can start fishing yeah uh, and then, you know, I, I heard from a couple of the seafood businesses that, you know, A, that they're closed, like you were saying, because they have to do testing. And I heard it could be, you know, months before they mm-hmm. give them the all clear. And then there's just the like sort of public perception. So, you know, people are, are yeah. like, oh, I'm not going to go to the local fish market. I'm not going to buy seafood. So they've seen their business decline, even though the fish they're getting might be from you know, 60 miles offshore and perfectly clean. It's the public perception that uh, is hurting them. So, you know, they've got multiple uh, challenges to this thing, but all the more reason to just put an end to oil spills.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, and that's, you know, how how this can affect a lot of people. That's why I think organizations like yourself, like a lot of people are like, well, like I live in the middle of the country. Why should I support an organization like this? And I'm like, well, you're eating seafood. You you know, there's all these other levels to it. Yeah. Besides the global climate change and all that stuff, um, and and this oil spill really exposed that. Uh, what are you know? I've noticed a lot of obviously on social media a lot of posts about cleanups and stuff like that. What are some of the things on the ground that SurfRider Foundation is doing to to help with this oil spill?
1: Yeah, that great question. Um, you know, it's tricky. The the oil is a hazardous material. They uh, they mix some nasty chemicals like benzene into the oil to liquefy it, to pump it through the pipelines. So it's not just like natural tar from under the ground, it's it's toxic. So we're actually discouraging people to pick it up. That's why the guys out cleaning it up are wearing those hazmat suits. It's yeah. it is nasty stuff. Uh, but we've been encouraging people to report sightings of oil. Uh, we actually, if you, if you go to our website, we've got a, a little app you can download and and um take pictures with your phone of tar balls that are now washing up we're seeing them wash up all over san diego county yeah I um, saw that. and so um you take a picture it puts it on a map live right when you do it and so we were using that to try to uh help the coast guard and fish and wildlife department determine where to do cleanups um, and I think we're going to see this wash up on the beach for weeks, unfortunately. So we're trying to track the like full extent of, of the impact. I yeah. imagine it's probably already gone into Mexico. I heard some, ocean's finding some, which is pretty far south. Whoa! Um, and so we're doing that. There, we're also um, we've been we have we're the the uh, official NGO non governmental um, organization liaison to the incident command, which is the cleanup group. Right. And, uh, you know, so we've been asking questions about <clears throat> about water quality testing and opening beaches, which are now pretty much all open and um, trying to help be the liaison between the officials that are focused on the cleanup and the, and the public. Uh, and so we've been doing that too, uh, trying to make sure that the other organizations that are protecting the wetlands and the wildlife are, are also being supported um, as well. And, uh, you know, so we're kind of in the, in the. we also want to ensure that there's a comprehensive cleanup so we don't want them yeah. to say, "Hey, this is done." If right. we're still getting word that a lot of oil's washing up on beaches, like I, I heard uh, yesterday, I don't know why, a ton of oil washed up in uh, just south of Carlsbad. Really? Whoa. So we've got we've got people like you know, we're, we're, our community is out on the beach all the time, and so we're trying to make sure that we uh, we're alerting the officials when we hear that. Um, you know, then next we'll be involved in this like damage assessment. There's a formal process called the natural resource damage assessment process that the, it's a science driven process to understand all the impacts Mm -hmm. best possible. And then, you know, sort of assign a a price tag to try to restore and mitigate those impacts. Interestingly enough, those impacts include um, loss of recreational use. So uh, beaches closed, days where beach going and surfing was not allowed that the oil company or whoever, the responsible party is going to be, have to pay for that. Oh, um, good. yeah. You know, trying to make sure that the the local businesses get small business loans and other things to help, you know, bridge the gap during the time periods that, you know, all these poor businesses, right. They just got through COVID.
2: Yeah, Things are starting nice. looking
1: up and then they just get hammered again. Um, and then, you know, so, and then long-term we're really trying to find, uh, you know ban drilling and decommission these rigs so you know part of it's dressing the spill and then the next part is trying to make sure this doesn't happen again
0: yeah so it's kind of like like let's deal with the band-aid fix now to get us through it and then we have to you know basically have a healthy diet and figure out how to get us off of this kind of yeah exactly mess. that's yeah right. I mean, yeah i mean it it's tough like i i surfed uh yesterday at Bolsa chica and just like looking off that and seeing all the rigs, which I've seen for years, I've just kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, like, they're right there, right. I'm like, I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, this is like, it makes no sense, you know. Um, yeah. And hopefully, hopefully, we, we could we could end that. Uh, obviously, this has been a big wake up call. But I mean, most advocates like yourself and and myself have been warning about this. Have been saying like, hey, it's just a matter of time. You know, you do the math. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. it's gonna happen. Um, if you could tell yourself you know you've been with the organization for 20 years if you could go back in time and tell you, your your today could go back to that first day in the in the mailroom internship what would you tell yourself <laughs> <clears throat> oh
1: god that's a great question i probably would have i mean uh god you know i i imagine i would tell myself it's you know uh that the that never doubt sort of the uh, potential that sort of a grassroots advocacy organization can really have because it's just built on and uh we were pretty small then and it's grown to be a lot bigger and um so i find that um it's actually super inspiring probably why i've been there for i've been here for so long um to see how many people care and how many people want to get involved you know and it's funny because a lot of people focus on all the people who aren't involved which, you know it's still too big we, we there should be more people involved than there are but I, i'm i spend my time focused on those who are involved yeah. and uh that's incredibly motivating cuz they're uh extraordinary i just got back from uh, asbury park new jersey last oh, weekend cool. and uh we had you know 50 of surf top leaders on the east coast uh you know this is an extraordinary group of people that are running our chapters they're the leaders in their communities and they're all volunteers too and uh making magic happen in their coastal communities, you know? And so I, I just find that super inspiring. So I, if I went back, I'd be like, you know, <clears throat> have faith in in, uh, in, in you know, in this model. Uh, it, and I didn't invent it, but it, it certainly is, really works well.
0: Now, what are the biggest issues they're having on the East Coast? I'm just kind of curious.
1: You know, they're really, they're in, in many ways they're largely similar, um, you know, a lot of plastic pollution which is really a global issue you know i think the the sea level rise um issues are even more severe because they have a flatter coastline lower elevation you know and they also have the impact of hurricanes
0: yeah it's i mean i've been i was there during sandy like it, it, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse it's, yeah yeah
1: you know and the flooding ida went all the way up around and yeah. flooded new york um and so i think those are those are some of the really the big issues. There's been some oil infrastructure issues. So trying to stop like gas pipelines. Okay. Um, and uh, and then the other issue that's interesting that the East Coast is ahead of us on is wind projects are being planned, renewable ocean wind projects, you know, renewable okay. energy projects and uh offshore wind. And there's gosh, probably at least seven or eight projects between like uh the Carolinas and, and New York and Massachusetts and uh, off you know Martha's Vineyard and the, that's a those are challenging right because of course wind energy is really a big positive and we mm-hmm. want wind uh but you know anytime you build a big structure in the ocean there's going to be some impacts and so we want to make sure it's done right and minimizes yeah. those those impacts so you know it's a balancing act but that's a that's happening you know that's uh and there's a lot of opinions about it the fishing communities against it depending of on course. some people are for it. Some people don't want their views messed up. And so it's definitely like stirring the pot.
0: Yeah, and I think uh... The fishing community in general has a lot to say with you know what ha- I obviously with what's happened even yeah. recreational fishing I know I grew Absolutely. up. in a, I grew up in a recreational fishing uh, household in the 80s it, on the East Coast and Northeast and so like yeah. I know we we worked on a lot of issues with restocking fish and that kind of stuff and you know we were interacted with the ocean on a daily basis, much like surfers are, you know, here and stuff. Um, So who else is gonna know better about what the day-to-day operations and life cycle of the ocean is than the people that are on it? Um, I I usually ask this question to everybody to kind of end this whole conversation. Uh, If you had to pick a favorite place to surf, where would it be and why?
1: Gosh, that's a great question. I I think my favorite place place to surf is sort of that uh, that like Oaxacan coastline, southern mainland Mexico. Okay. Um, I, I've been down there a bunch. Um, right sand point breaks, so, which are hard to beat. Yeah. As the regular foot, um, and beyond just the surf, the food and the people are extraordinary. Of uh, and then I love the landscape. I always tell people it's like kind of like Joshua Tree meets the beach. Yeah. So just this beautiful, interesting geography. And it's kind of a mix of desert and jungle. Uh, so that that zone is definitely like my one of my favorite places on the planet.
0: Yeah, I've been dying to go. Um, well, listen, thanks for joining us. Um, yeah. um, where where should people go to get involved? Yeah, you this. know,
1: uh surfrider.org, it's really easy. Uh Surfrider has about 50,000 members. Um which is, you know, a pretty good number, but yeah. I, I figured there's there's 3 million surfers out there in the US, best guess. And you know, I want one in every 10.
0: That's uh, not asking a lot.
1: That would be 300,000 members and we'd be game changing. We'd be a powerhouse in the in the country and so every time I look at it, a lineup, you know, like I look at lowers yeah. There's, 60, there's 60 guys out there I'm like I only need 6 That's it So I, that's my call to action for the surfing community 1 in 10 surfers Yeah and it's surf, and it's easy lighter.
0: And it's easy I mean look I'm 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 a, a monthly donor it's it's an auto draft it's not a lot of money but every yep. little bit like counts like I tell everybody with advocacy look lead from your seat's like if if all you could give is $10 a month that's $10 that helps, you know, pay for copy machines or whatever it may be. Yeah, you know? exactly.
1: Huge. It makes a huge difference. It pays yeah. for the scientists and the policy people that are like on all these conference calls with the yeah.
0: regulators about this oil spill every day. Yeah, it's it's important. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks and, for having me. Yeah, I will see you out there. Yeah, take care. Thank you so much to Chad Nelson, not just for sitting down with us, but for all that he does with the Surfrider Foundation, you know. You see the stickers on everybody's cars and everybody thinks it's very passe and blah, blah, blah. But honestly, even a small membership of $10 a month, $25 a year, whatever it is, that helps put money into an organization that is going and doing stuff that is not only helping us as surfers, but helping the environment as a whole the ocean is really such a vital part of our environment a lot of people forget you know between the food and the energy we get from it and all those kind of things and there's also like a financial side of it where you know tourism funds a lot of the communities that we live in and that creates jobs for a lot of people and if that stuff is taken away because of oil spills and all that stuff you know it's really going to be a problem so i definitely suggest you go and if you're not a member go check them out join or at least in the minimum amplify them you know follow them on instagram when they have events you know amplify those events or attend those events i've attended some of the beach cleanups with my family and it's also a great learning lesson for your kids to know that like this is how much trash there is on the beach and this is the effect it has but but then also that you can hands-on do something with them and i think that's a great thing so i hope you guys enjoyed it but without further ado Let's get back to some more Massive Attack, some more tracks, maybe some stuff you've never heard of. And then when we come back, we're going to be talking about giving in our communities. Peace.
4: Nicer than the burn up in the tree top, cheaper than the chip on my laptop. All the variations you could do.
0: Of the Bodega Border Crew podcast. Yes. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview, the tracks, some more Massive Attack. Uh, if you don't know much about them, I left a link in this episode description so you can go to the classic Wikipedia, find out about them. I love their music. One of the things that I love the most about them and, and groups like them is that they're able to not just have one singer that is kind of, hey, this is our sound, and this is you know who sings. All the lead but they're able to pull in different people like the singer of the Cocteau twins and Hope Sandoval and you know and I think that's what makes them very interesting to me because you have this different kind of voice being put on different kinds of tracks that change it dramatically so I tried to spotlight some of those tracks um, and I hope you dig them but let's do a little housekeeping this is a Bodega Border Crew podcast make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew make sure to check out our website BodegaBorderCrew.com where we have merch We have episode reviews, we have a bunch of stuff. We're always dropping merch and people ask us, how can we help out? And I don't want to take a direct donation, I'd rather you get something out of it. I think the t-shirts, towels, fins, all that stuff we design is pretty fun. And I hope you guys get something out of it. Plus, most of the time we include a lot of free stuff in there. Uh, So even though if all you're buying is a bag or a zine, um, you'll get something else in there. Uh, but also make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player or player of choice for uh, track listings and things that we're talking about. So it's the holiday season and you know, a big part of that is giving, even though giving should be a part of our vernacular all year long, but there's a focus on it because we're exchanging gifts and we're helping our neighbors out. And a lot of times people just don't know what they can do, you know, and I think When it comes to giving, at least my perspective is that you do what you can that you think is going to have the most impact directly. Because let's say you and I, if we gave $1,000 to some charity, I don't know how, while that may help, I don't know if that's going to have a greater impact than helping in our local communities. So here's a couple of things that I've done and that my family's done and that I thought were interesting that you might wanna hear about. One of the things that we try to do every year is uh, adopt a family uh, for the holidays. There's a lot of families and needs, um, especially if we live near a military base and there's casualties of war and those, there's orphaned kids and there's families that need help and it's really tough during the holidays. So trying to find a family that can use a little bit of happiness is the best is one of the basic things you could do around the holiday season. I would reach out to your neighbors, I would reach out to Facebook groups. Um, If you have a military base nearby, if you have a community center, I'm sure you could find those. Um, They always post things about families that need help. I know in our local Facebook group, uh, they're always saying like, hey, here's a family that I am adopting this year and here's a list of stuff they do. And it could be as simple as something as a coloring book or it could be a toy or it could be any of those kind of things. And those little things that we take for granted for a lot of kids and families during this time make a huge difference. And so I recommend doing that. Uh, Another way to give that I think is really vital is find organizations that you feel strongly about that may have affected, you may have gotten something out of when you were kids. So one of the ones that I do stuff with is Stoked. And I know skateboarding for me growing up in the inner city kind of Gave me a gift of life and creativity and friends and family and all the stuff that I think I would have never had. And so by supporting them, I'm supporting an organization that is hopefully doing that for other kids. Um, You could either donate money to the organization, you could be a mentor in person, or you could donate goods. I know Worm brought something up that I thought was really cool in that she was mentioning how you could give away like used surf gear to like organizations like Stoked or City Surf, where like you have a board that's laying around that you've dinged up to death, and it's watertight, and you know you rarely use it, and it's just semi-sentimental. Find an organization like City Surf Project, and like give it to them, because that board could wind up being the first board someone who becomes a surfer for life gets, and what better gift you've given them? Um, some of the other stuff that I believe in too that help is reach out to your neighbors. You know, during COVID, even if people haven't physically been affected by COVID through loss or death or hospitalization. Everybody's been affected through the economy, loss of jobs, loss of money. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's been a tough two years. And I think if you could just reach out to your neighbors um, and make them cookies, do something basic like that, you know, um, ask them if they need anything from the store. All these little gestures of kindness, granted, are stuff that we should be doing all year long. But I think if we want to motivate ourselves to create a better society, we can focus on trying to do it this month. Spend 20 days, you know, they say 21 days breaks or creates a habit. If you create this habit in the next 21 days of giving and charity and helping, I think we'll have a better world. Even if there's only one of you that listens to this out there and does something like this, I think I've accomplished my goal and I've, you know, tried to make the world a better place. So Look at it as a month, 21 days or so, that you can uh, do stuff for other people, and then hopefully that creates a habit that you carry throughout your life. But enough of that. I want to get back to the tracks. I want to get back to some short takes. So here's some more Massive Attack, and I'll check in with you guys in a little bit. Peace.
2: i
5: Occasional scroll but what will happen when the bomb drops down?
0: Welcome back to Volume 76 of the Bodega Board Crew Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Hope you've been digging into tracks. I know it's not the hip-hop or the street music you expected, but I think it's really interesting. Again, I'm a huge Massive Attack fan. I actually listen to a bunch of the tracks when I go surfing when I need to mellow out or get into like a kind of zone, Um, so I think that was a big influence on why I picked these tracks. But anyway, let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have merch, we have t-shirts, we have zines, pins, I'm trying to think what else, stickers, towels, board bags, you name it, we got it. Looking for a Christmas gift to send someone? Why don't you buy something from us? We have gifting options where we could make it look like Santa sent it or something like that. Anyway, also make sure to check out our full episode description on your iTunes player for uh, track listings and things that we're talking about. This episode, we have a couple of short takes that we are talking about. First short take is this video put together by Cole Walton uh, called Tea Party uh, featuring uh, Summer Richley and Cami Locker. I love Cole's work. He does a lot of stuff for LogRap, he does stuff on his own, he's done stuff for like Alex Nose and stuff. There's a certain look and feel to his stuff that reminds me of a lot of early skate videos, almost in a way of um, not as cinematic as like Sick Boys, but that sort of feel where it's a bunch of stuff put together, very cut and paste. He has a really good sense of music. Uh, Plus this has Summer Richley, which I love watching her surf. I mean, seeing her surf in person is really amazing and seeing this video that they put together is really cool. We have a link to it, make sure to check it out. The second short take is called Of Salt and Dust uh, featuring JJ Wessels. This was a video that was done for Surfer's Journal about a month ago. And first of all, JJ is one of my favorite surfers and I'm lucky to call him a friend and be able to surf with him and learn a lot from watching him over the last couple years up close. um, I remember Worm telling me that the best way to learn how to surf church is to sit where either him or Tyler are sitting and I took that very much to heart years ago and uh, it always sinks in with me like I'll look where you know JJ sets up and he'll set up usually someplace where you just don't expect there to be a wave and he knows it perfectly and he'll have one of the best technical nose ride waves I've ever seen. Um, anyway, uh, this is a really cool video because it talks a lot about his faith and surviving a plane crash and where he is now and his family, which you know his family, his uh, wife Natalie. And Sunrider they're great people and they're just like have this amazing vibe and this video does really it does a really good job in capturing that and if you don't know him or haven't been around him, I really suggest you check this out. Um, Also you you, in general if you longboard you should be watching him surf a lot Um, so we have a link to it I hope you enjoy it. The last short take we have is this video uh, called Kick Rocks uh, from the Silent Rock TV crew. I love the Silent Rock TV crew uh, Patrick O'Connor, uh, Ian Gautrin, Kevin Svarna, I don't know a lot of the other guys, but what they do in terms of these videos is so fun, and this is another example of that. Uh, they had this random descendant song that I haven't heard since I've been like maybe like 18 years old, 19 years old, that put a smile on my face, but the thing that I like about their videos is that it's not just longboarding, it's not just shortboarding, it's kind of a mix of everything, um, and uh, I think it's a worthwhile watch. Uh, everything they do is like fun to watch for me. Uh, I love the energy they put out there. It has a zine kind of feel, like a video zine. And uh, that's what makes it really fun. And it's also just to see the, these kids rip. Like these kids just like straight up rip. they you know, outside of our little zone here, I don't think many people know about it. Like I don't think any like, you know, LA surf dads know that these fucking kids will eat them up alive in the lineup. Um, and I love it. I love that. Like I'm seeing this firsthand, and it feels really special. You know, it's almost like watching uh, some early like EST skate videos or something like that. When you know these kids and they're like they they haven't broken through just yet, but you know how dope they are. Um, so definitely check out their video um, and let me know what you think. But that's it for this episode, uh, Volume 76. Uh, I don't think we're gonna be doing another one uh, before the new year. Uh, so You know, I definitely want everyone to enjoy the holiday season, be kind to each other, have fun, you know. I myself have some family coming here, and uh, as much as I love my mom, um, she drives me fucking nuts. <laughs> so I know we all get stressed out during the holidays too, uh, between family and trying to find that perfect gift. But at the end of the day, like I think, if as long as you're just kind and you're attentive, um, who gives a shit what they get? You know, I tell people that all the time. Like, sure, I'd like a million dollars, but I'd rather just someone, you know, buy me a T, you know? It's it, it's not about the size of the gift, it's about the gesture. So um also make sure that you guys um, tune in December twenty second, Vance Channel sixty six. I know we get a lot of questions about it and we get these we get messages sent all the time that are like, oh I didn't get a chance to check it out. Where can I check it out? You can't. It's live. It's live only. There's a reason for that. Um and a very good reason. I'm very happy about it. I used to think it'd be cool if it was archived. I actually like that it's not archived because it's very temporal. It happens and then it's gone. It's an out into the ether, you know. And um, the last couple of episodes have been really amazing. And I really suggest you check it out. So, December 22nd, uh, 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific, um, check it out. But if you don't check it out, have a great holiday season. Have a good new year. See you guys out there. And remember, there's no need to bust a craze on a wave. Smile at each other. Have fun. See you out there. Peace.
3: Bye.